Times Like Now is an interview program. I like speaking with interesting people that are doing cool stuff, and you can find past episodes wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today, Sean Powers, is a stand-up comic who has learned his craft and honed his skills while walking the Pacific Crest Trail on this episode of Times Like Now. Hello, Sean Powers. Thank you for joining me on the program today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so a little bit of your background. Uh, you spent some time in Latin America in, when was that, like like a few years ago, teaching. And what was that like being in during COVID time? So most recently, I was in Bogota, Colombia. And it was, it's scary kind of in a way to be a foreigner in a foreign place when something goes down. I mean, I had lived there for three years, so it had become my home. But my, my Spanish is only fluent to it a certain extent. And for the military to kind of take over and walk the streets and for everyone to go inside. And it, it felt like I was in that movie, I Am Legend, or an episode of Black Mirror where I'm walking around and I can see all these giant apartments. It's a city of 11 million people and everyone's sitting at their, their windows. They're looking out at you. You can really only go outside if you're going to the grocery store, the pharmacy, the doctor, and you have to have like a legitimate excuse. I think I got a lot of um, grace because I'm a foreigner and I, could, I, I'm, I can speak enough Spanish where I can tell them, hey, I'm just going to the grocery store or I need to go to this, this place and it, that the streets were completely abandoned. It was a very bizarre and surreal experience. And then for the school, um, they messaged us and said, hey, there won't be a flight until we don't know when. Your visas are going to run out because my uh, initial 2020 plan, as everybody's changed, was I'm going to do uh, two to three years in Bangladesh next. So I was leaving anyway. And they're like, because you're leaving, we've got a whole cohort of teachers. Uh, you've got two weeks to get out. Uh, you got two weeks to wrap everything up, to do all the paperwork. And if you don't make this flight, it's the special flight that the U.S. Embassy has organized. Good luck. You're, you're kind of on your own. Uh, you have to be on your own for getting an apartment, getting a visa, et cetera. And they're like, that's not going to happen at this time. So it was kind of, it was a weird to be uprooted and then to be dropped back in the United States. And it feels like everyone, it, the common answer was like, oh, you're back at home. Everything should be comfortable where not really. I've been, I've been living in a different place for six years. Uh, there was a little bit of a reverse culture shock, and especially to come from a place that everyone was following the rules in Bogota versus getting flown into Florida and <laughs> having that experience of people. Well, Florida you, would be a culture shock. It is a culture anyone, shock. Anytime. <laughs> and people were I'm, yelling at us for wearing our masks, like making fun of us. And I was just like, where am I? And then driving... Because we drove from, um, we we all got like cars and we drove to our home destinations for the summer to end up our, to end that school year to get ready for the next one. And I drove to Minnesota and driving through the United States, I just felt this intense feeling of, of anger from people, of frustration from people. And I was just like, is this my home? It was, it was strange. So as much as being in Bogota, having empty streets and ending a, a, almost like a, a fantasy life for the last three years. That was weird, but the weirdest part was coming back to the United States where 
it should be my home, but it doesn't feel like my home anymore. That's, that's very sad. I, I hope, I hope you're getting better and getting over that, uh, that bit. Um, so moving forward, when did you decide to walk the Pacific Crest Trail? What brought that on? And no when? one will ever admit this, especially on the PCT, but that movie and book Wild really inspired me because from the Midwest, I don't know much about these long distance trails. Like people on the East Coast have the Appalachian Trail. People on the West Coast have the Pacific Crest Trail. And when I read about that and I saw it and I was just like, this is a cool thing. While Cheryl Strayed had her own vision of what her PCT journey meant to her and why she was doing it, I'd never heard of that lifestyle. And it was the year that that movie came out. It was when I was moving to Guatemala. And I was like, if I ever move back to the United States, I want to do that. And because COVID's, uh, the school's response in Bangladesh and the country and, and, and I just didn't feel safe moving to Bangladesh and starting a new life during a pandemic in Dhaka, Bangladesh, um, decided not to go, reneged on my contract. Things were, uh, I, I worked it out with the school and I saw the door open and I was like, this is my opportunity. I got to walk through. And about, and I said, if, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to take a substantial five month long hike to do something that I've always wanted to do that I feel strongly and feel pulled towards, I also feel strongly and pulled towards comedy. So I was like, I've got five months. I think I'm just going to start working on transitioning my life to following my passions. Admirable. That's, that's following your bliss. That's fantastic. Were you, were you doing comedy before you began the walk? Last year around this time, I downloaded a, like how to write stand up comedy audiobook because I wanted to see what there was about comedy. And I also wanted to do a practice hike. So I did, it's called the superior hiking trail. It's from uh, the border of Canada in Minnesota. Don't you know? And it goes along Lake Superior. Uh, it's 350 miles. And I was like, okay, this is going to be like my test run of can I do a long distance hike? And can I write comedy? And throughout this book, uh, this um, it's his name is Steven Rosenberg. And he revealed that he was Jim Gaffigan's stand-up coach. And for me, especially a Midwest guy, I was like, Jim Gaffigan's my hero. Uh, I want to write stand-up like him. I, I was super, like, it was just, it was definitely like appeal to authority but it made this person's credibility go so much higher in my aspect, in my eyes. Cause when I heard him break down what comedy was, I was like, no, it's not. He, he, he broke it down like a, like it was like an algorithm. It's uh, a setup punch. It's just a setup with a twist. There's a certain pattern that you can break. Here's an act out. This is what an impression is. And I was like, this isn't. And then he starts going through every single one of my like favorite comedians, every single one of my favorite bits. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's so right. There is a archetype, there's a skeleton to this, and then you eventually learn, you learn the rules, and then you learn your voice, and then you learn how to navigate your voice through the rules, and how to break the rules, and how to become a great stand-up comedian. I was like, resistant at first, of no, it's not that simple, and then I was like, it is that simple. And then, so then I think I'm all... I know the basics. I know how to write jokes. I'm all like confident and cocky. It's like, oh, it takes everybody 10 years. It's going to take me two. <laughs> and I go up on stage for the first time and I try stand up comedy on Zoom. 
And it's like, oh, this is way harder than I could ever imagine. There's so much I have to learn about gesturing, about confidence, about timing, about writing, about syllables, about it's unbelievable the things that a stand-up comedian has to learn. It's just like if I get to the point where I'm happy with my stand-up in 10 years, I'd be lucky. So to answer your question, sorry, I go off on like little tirades. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> the through hike really gave me the chance to, the first superior hiking trail gave me the chance to learn about comedy. And then I was like, over the next six months as I prepared for the PCT and, and uh, uh, working on my savings and because to take a five and a half month long hike, you have to be in a pretty lucky and privileged position. So I, I felt very lucky to be able to take the time off work, save up enough money to take this, and then maybe some time after to work on stand-up comedy. And started working with this uh, Bellingham group who I did their Zoom comedy shows. And I pitched them the idea. I said, hey, if I walk the Pacific Crest Trail, will you help me organize uh, a special around my experience in the PCT? And the person was like, yeah, uh, his name's Nathan Romano. And he was like, I'm in, let's do it. We'll find you the venue, we'll market it. Let's make this work. This is a cool story. And I was like, all right, this is my, I'm going to jump into comedy with uh, both feet head deep into the water. Have you ever thought in all of your time out on the trail, I suppose you you might've gotten into a, into a Zen kind of space, but what is comedy for? Like evolutionary speaking, you know, there's a evolutionary reason for just about everything that us humans do. Why comedy? What, what is, did you ever think about that much? Do you have any th- theories on that? The, uh, just, I'm kind of come into this with the preface of I've been doing this for a year. So take whatever I say and just be like, all right, he's talking about his experience from a year, but from eight years of teaching experience, classroom teaching, um, I can say that one of the biggest things that I like about comedy is that it builds a relationship right away. If you can make somebody laugh, they're on your side. They're part of your in-group. They're part of your tribe. Once you make them, you make yourself likable and you make them laugh. And like, there's a good mix, I believe, of both ego and satisfaction of, I made you laugh but also you're enjoying yourself. Now you're going to make me laugh. And it's this like Pete Holmes has this analogy of that. It's like a back and forth tennis match. And I love that analogy where it's like you go and you can do this with anybody. And that's why the trail was so fun is because you, you get to meet new people every single day. There's day hikers, section hikers, other through hikers. And if you can just form that relationship and build that bond and serve them up something funny or they serve you up something funny and then you hit it back and then you've got this back and forth and it can be absurd, it can be serious, it can be silly. So I'd say the number, when you asked me that question, the first answer was relationship building. It, it builds this bond. A rapport. And I love that rapport. I love, I love that. And then I'd say the second is it's all about the surprise. I love when people aren't expecting you to be funny or to be absurd. And then you, you catch them off guard and they're like, are, are you serious? And it's like, no, I'm not serious. And they start laughing and they're like, oh, and then they, it like, it breaks down it, it to get, I guess, to piggyback on that rapport. It breaks down, you know, that, that almost like subconscious evolutionary, like, protect I need to protect myself and I need to protect other people and my tribe and if you can 
present yourself as, hey, I'm not a threat. Let's have some fun. Let's get silly. Um, it builds the rapport and it, it just, it helps make, it, it, it makes the world a lighter place for that moment. Sure. Sure. It is, a, a as you said, a, a, a mechanism to to make friends basically. And, and that's what they say about smiling in general. That's, that's a, that's a de-arming kind of technique is, is to smile. Um, Eric Idle, Monty Python wrote an entire book about, uh, about <laughs> the reasons for comedy. One of his characters in this book is a, a robot an Android that is trying to figure out the reason for comedy, the, 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 <laughs> the, why, why did it evolve? And, and he says, well, apes in the jungle, monkeys have a sign language and they have a, a sign for snake, you know, for danger. So the first monkey that ever signed snake when there was no snake gets one over on his friends and it's a, it's a laugh and, and he gets the banana instead of, you know, and he says the, the first monkey that ever stood up, is that the beginning of stand-up comedy? I think so. And it's it's funny, I read that in our uh, Sapiens, where monkeys will trick, trick each other so they can go up and grab all the stuff. So is comedy just a form of manipulation? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's just to steal bananas from other people. Yeah. That, it that's could. In, in essence, that's uh, at its lowest form, it's really just to... Uh, to get it, to get one over on your buddy and take his stuff. Oh, in comedy at its lowest form, you're talking to the right guest um, because I'm definitely starting at the lowest form and you know working your way up. And it's it's a it's an ever changing craft where you're editing, you're working on. Okay, is this premise relatable? Did the the punchline work? Did I give it enough time? You're always constantly evolving it. But at the at the baseline, some, it's funny because it's just like you know what. You can see comedy as silliness. You can see comedy as peacocking or manipulation if you want. But at the end of the day, you're just trying to make somebody laugh. You're just trying to cheer cheer somebody up. Have you run into hecklers yet? It's like one of the things that I found so funny when I'm on the, the Pacific Crest Trail and people who are on the PCT are such goal-oriented, very encouraging people. And when I tell them I'm walking to my first uh, solo stand-up show, I want to be a comedian, they're so supportive. And then they always ask, like, they're so polite. They're like, how do you, do you? and I'm like, hey, I'm going to do a trail show. Do you guys want to come? I'm going to tell a few jokes. It's just free entertainment. We're out in the woods. Um, do you want to be my audience? And they're like, yeah, can I heckle? And I'm like, what kind of question is that? <laughs> You're the most polite <laughs> heckler. I was like, no, man, I'm sensitive. Don't heckle me. Or good luck like try it but i'm ready uh especially now that you've asked like now i'm i've already worked on oh your head you're this one kind of <laughs> this bald guy the very shiny head is like can i heckle and i was like all right man let's do it and like in my head because part of the pct is everyone has a trail name it's a weird tradition nobody really knows why but it's just part of it you just take on a new name and most pct hikers are on an existential crisis anyway so it's kind of fitting. <laughs> and this guy was like can I heckle and I was like sure and then he starts to yell okay so I was handing out I sorry to give so much setup um That's okay part of the I wanted to think of promotional material for my show that through hikers would like and it's like they don't want more matches they don't want anything that weighs they don't want more stickers toilet paper everybody needs toilet paper so I was like I'm gonna put my face a cartoon version of my face on toilet paper 
and say shitty comedy show, Bellingham, Washington. I grab like seven or eight little squares. I put it in a little plastic bag and that's what I would hand out to people and people loved it. So one of the nicknames for toilet paper is called a shit ticket. And this guy, I start doing my stand-up show and he's like, Hey, shit ticket. And I was like, what did you call me? And he's like, shit ticket. You're the guy that hands out toilet paper with your face on it. I was like, Oh, that's weird. Coming from someone whose name is butt plug. And he's like, that's not my name. I was like, I don't know. Your head looks like it. And it kind of serves the same function. And it made people laugh and it made him laugh. And it like, because he had asked, he kind of knew it was coming, but I wasn't going to just come at him out of the gate and be like, Hey, what's up everybody. Thanks for coming out to this trail show. Oh, look at this butt plug over here. Like there's a tact to it because if you come off too strong to even a heckler, the audience will not be on your side. The audience in that case, the four hikers and two deer and one bear that were listening, (laughs) the audience knew that he had asked this question. So they knew that it was going to come and it's all part of the fun. Like then it's in a good positive place. I think most heckling, the way that I've kind of figured it out is I have a little brother energy. I'm a little brother. I have this need to be liked. I have this need to fit in. And it's like stand-up comedy is full of little brother energy. People who are hecklers are those little brothers. They're the ones that want attention. They're the ones that want to be part of the show. They want to be the funny guy. And it's like, okay, I can relate. I'm like you, especially as a classroom teacher. Students do that all the time. They want to they want to impress. They want to peacock. They want to be, oh, I'm the star of the show. And then the way that you handle it is kind of like a good, like the analogy that I talked about before, a good game of tennis, or it's like a, a good conversation or jujitsu match. You got to know your audience and say like, okay, I can, I can go to all 10. I can start making fun of this guy, or I can do it as a one and just be like, what did you say? And then kind of have more of a conversation. Just be like, hey, man, I would appreciate it if you just enjoy the show. Uh, if you want to talk to me after, go ahead. So it's, I think it's a balance. And for me, learning crowd work, learning how to deal with hecklers, that's that part of that 10-year journey that you learn as a comedian is this is how you do it. So fortunately, I haven't had many hecklers. And the hecklers that I've had have politely asked me, and I've been able to prepare for it. It's like a debate. A, a rather <laughs> unique position that you may not have at a nightclub in uh, you know, in middle of California or, or wherever. But again part of your part of your journey the the hike itself i mean how many miles were you walking a day i started off strong i'd say for the first thousand miles i was doing between 20 and 25 a day and for the first 700 miles it's the desert section it's not like when i pictured that i'm picturing like cactus like a, a rolling tumbleweed and just sand for 700 miles. No, it's it's on the, the Pacific crest. You're going up and down. You're going into mountain ranges. You're seeing a variety of different types of geography. For the most part, that section of 700 miles trains hikers. So most, the average hiker might do between like 15 and 20 per day in that section. Then you get into the high Sierras and that's a challenging, it's one of the hardest parts of the hike. It's one of the most beautiful but you've got all these mountain passes that you go through and it really does, you start going from maybe 20 to 25 miles to maybe 15 to 20 on average. Then the next thousand miles, it feels like is Northern California and it's these long rolling stretches of hills. Then you get into Oregon and it's a little bit flatter. So you start to bump up to like 25, 30, 
35 per day because you're kind of like hiking becomes your job. It becomes mundane. It becomes monotonous. And you're just like, I kind of want to just get it over with. <laughs> You'd think everybody's like all excited to be out there appreciating every moment. But in a five and a half month long journey, there's days where you're just like, when is this going to end? <laughs> and then you get down to Washington. So then you get up to, so to answer the question, it depends on the section. Of so course. I'd say on average, the whole thing, maybe between 20 and 25. So because- the whole trip in, in is what, 2,700 miles? And it, you said five months. That is, that is commendable. And that is pretty amazing. It's hard to relate to people because it's so big. And it's, they're like, they don't, most people don't want to ask questions because they don't want to feel stupid. And I get that. I don't want to feel stupid either. And they'll be like, do you carry all your food for the whole time? Do you have a gun? Are you hunting? (laughs) Are there crazy people? And it's like, yes, there's crazy people. Of course I have a gun. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't have a gun. You have to see the PCT as short five-day backpacking trips, short five-day resupply where like the most of food, most amount of food that you'll carry is six days, maybe seven at most. And if you think about it, I am walking from Mexico to Canada. You'll, it's too overwhelming. You won't finish. You have to think about it as I'm just getting to this next section. And if I get to that next section and I need to take a day off, I'm going to take the day off. Or if I get to that next five days later and I'm feeling good, well, I'm just going to grab my five days worth of food and then head on out. Um, it's daunting. And in retrospect, I'm very lucky. It's technically 2,654. But there's a section of the trail because you can't go into the Canadian border. And trust me, I tried. Like my body hurts and I heard they have free health care. And I was like, I'm walking <laughs> to that health care. They turned me around at the border, um, as they should have. I looked like garbage and they don't need me in their country. And so it's an extra 35 miles back. So you finish the hike and then you're like, oh, great, 35 more miles. And I get nervous before comedy shows. So I do a lot of pacing. So I just bumped it up to 2,700 miles. So speaking of, of comedy, you're, by the time this episode airs, you will have done two shows, your first solo shows in Bellingham. Tell me uh, a, a little bit about, uh, again, this, by the time this airs, you'll have been done with it. So we won't know how it went until then, but are you looking forward to this? You got your material prepped. Are you ready to tackle Bellingham and their, and their hecklers and their audiences? It's so... It's like, for me, it's like the PCT, but like on a mental or emotional level where it's, I have all this material that I've worked on and I almost just want to get up there on stage and just like, like word vomit everything at once and just be like, all right, choose what you like. You're going to have a good time. (laughs) So right now I'm in the, I'm in the comfortably anxious, excited stage. And I just have to keep reminding myself, people want to see you up there having fun. People are there to celebrate the end of a journey. They're, they're there to celebrate both you because it's I'm in this unique position where I'm, I'm selling tickets to my show. So people are coming in with a little bit of background knowledge of who I am. So I've got that likability there. They're coming in with a little bit of background knowledge of what is the Pacific Crest Trail. So I've got that going for me. And I'm creating my own safe space in a town where hiking and outdoors activities is, is pretty common. So I feel fortunate with all that. Then I've got the pressure that I put on myself where I'm, I'm 
selling tickets. And, you know, I've worked on this material for five and a half, six months. And I've practiced this material and it's going to be a great night. It's a quality night, but it's, it's a gamble. It's live edu- It's a lot education. It's live comedy. And hopefully it's not, it's not education. I get up there and the worst thing I could do is just get up there and act like a Ted talk and just talk people through a slideshow of my trip. Like I'm talking to my grandma. That's not what I want to happen. I want to entertain people. So I'm putting pressure on myself and a little bit of nervous energy to work hard to make this an entertaining every joke lands. It's funny from the beginning to the end. I've constructed this story, which is great because when you go up as a new comedian, you're only given, you know, sections where you've got five minutes where people don't know who you are. You got to prove and convince them to like you right off the bat. I've got a little bit of room as a new comedian to kind of stretch my legs, to work on new stuff. And even if they're paying for tickets and they're going and they know me, I've got about like 10 minutes of comfortable time to be like, okay, I got 10 minutes to get to know myself and to organize my, my set and deliver. Uh, they'll give me 10 minutes of leeway, I, I assume. And then I got to get, uh, I got to get, <laughs> it's got to be funny. I was just going to say, say something funny. That's a good one. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, what is your plans after now you said Minnesota is that where you're based where where do you live when you're not walking uh, a trail so it's because I lived abroad for six to to seven years my home base is still like my my bank information my mail information it's all my parents house and it's it's there's this weird thing in the United States where not really any other country feels this but there's such an ego tied to having your independence once you leave university. And it's like, I've been fortunate to have a job at ABC television, to find a job in teaching in Guatemala, in Colombia, to, to spend the, the pandemic where I, I was able to find a, a temporary job so I could live outside of my parents. But there's something so tied to moving back home with your parents. So whatever I can do to avoid going back to Minnesota, I'm going to do. Not only are there terrible winters, but I, I want to move to a place where I've got this idea for a TV show and I want to do the Appalachian trail in six different sections with six different comedians who teach me their style of comedy, but I'm going to teach them how to through hike and we'll spend a month on trail where we're doing this journey together. We're going to prepare for a mini show at the end of each one of our sections or episodes and call it the walk of shame because a through hike is a grueling, fun, unique experience, and so is becoming a comedian. And I wanted to try to capitalize on this. Okay, I've got this niche market in through hiking. It's one of my passions. I love it. I've got this niche market in comedy where I want to sell, not that I'm a complete comedian, but I'm on a journey both on a hike and to become a comedian. So I'm going to try to give myself five to six months to sell that towards a a percussion, a production company or a TV company or something where hopefully somebody, oh, we're uh, getting close to, we're getting close to the end of the time. I'm getting my light. I'll, uh, I, I go on these long tangents. I'm hoping to sell a TV show. That's it. That's cool. That that is exciting. Um, where would people find you if they wanted to follow you on uh, the internet's and the social medias? I think Instagram is best. It's a nightmare to explain to people, but it's Sean Powers, all one word. But you have to type the whole thing out: S E A N P O W E R S A L L O N E W O R D. 
Sean Powers, all one word. Sean Powers, all one word. Really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm very exciting for you. Uh, <laughs> you've taken quite a journey, and I, I think you're just beginning uh, another one here with your comedy. And uh, good luck to you. I'm really looking forward to seeing you uh, on stage and seeing you succeed, and maybe see you on a TV screen someday. Hey, thank you so much. It don't for show business. Don't say good luck. Say break a leg. But for hiking, say good luck. Don't say break a leg. So you know what? Just <laughs> I'm going to take the good luck because I'm going to need it. Thank you once again, Sean Powers. Thank you. Just to clarify, that is Sean Powers. I'm Trevor Collins with Times Like Now. Thank you for tuning in to the program. You can find past episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the letter J, Cody Robertson, for original music. I'm Trevor, and I can be reached Trevor at timeslikenow.com. I look forward to speaking with you all next time.